0: now i'm going to be reading from second peter verse one no second peter one verse one through eight simon peter a servant and apostle of jesus christ to those who through the righteousness of our god and savior jesus christ have received a faith as precious as ours grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of god and of jesus our lord His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective, and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus.
1: Um, that scripture is a really good overview of where we've been the last number of weeks in this series that we've called Ripening. It's in some ways a parallel text to what you find in Galatians 5, where the fruit of the Spirit are listed. Uh, but I think it gives us a good big picture sense of how they fit together and what the purpose is. It talks in there about a, a participating in the divine nature, following, becoming more like, like the Lord. So today we do bring uh, to an end our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. We've called Ripening. We've talked about how uh, these are all different ways of seeing the love of God show up in our lives or be expressed through our lives. And so we've said several times, I think, that we don't want to think of them as completely separate things, but we realize that they overlap with each other. And in some ways, they're just different aspects of what the love of God looks like when you see it in someone's life. So today we come to the last in the series, and this one is focused on self control, which is the last one on the list in Galatians. And uh, I think we've all kind of been warmed up for, uh, for that by the story that Jen read for the kids. I think it was, that's a really helpful picture. Um, Sorry, we don't have cookies for everybody, but you can only do so much, you know. What I want to do today is I want to talk about what self-control is. I have three things I think you should know about self-control, and then I want to end by talking about how to grow in self-control. So what is self-control, three things you should know about it, and uh, how to grow in self-control. In the story that Jen read for the children, for us, uh, the focus was on willpower, on willpower. We might call that self-discipline, and I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But I want to talk about what self-control is, and then we'll contrast the two. I'm going to read for you what the Apostle Paul says about self-control from his letter to Titus, Titus chapter 2. Titus, or Paul writes to Titus, he says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God, it, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions, and to live, or we might say, to say yes to, self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, and our blessed hope, our, our great hope, is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, a people who are eager to do what is good. So in these few verses here, Paul makes some very important points. Let's go back to that first one about uh, verses 11 and 12. He says, by the grace of God, the grace of God that is at work within us teaches us to say no to, to some things, and to say yes to other things, to say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions, and to say yes to self-control, to upright and godly lives. And he gives us two reasons why we would do that. The first one is here. He says we're, we do that because we're waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for the full coming of his kingdom that he's gonna bring when he comes back and usher in the, the fullness of his kingdom. And so one of the reasons why we say yes to upright and godly lives is because we're, we're looking into that future. We're living out that future reality in our lives now. By the power of God at work within us, we're able to live that future life now. The second reason is in the second set of verses, in verse 14, where it says, He has redeemed us from all wickedness. In other words, He has saved us. But then it also says He's purifying us. He's at work Purifying us over time, purifying for himself a people who more and more are eager to do what is good. We've kind of been talking about this over the last number of weeks that as the Holy Spirit works within us, we become more and more like Jesus, we look more like Jesus, we become more eager to do what is good. As we look at self control this morning, though, I want to suggest to you that self control is being in charge of my desires my emotions and my passions, my passions. It's being me being in charge of them rather than them being in charge of me. So being in charge of my desires, emotions, and passions rather than being someone who is, where those things are in charge of me and in charge of what I do, that I'm somehow their servant. So self-control is being able to choose how to act or how to respond rather than just being someone who reacts to what's happening around them. So, you're no longer fully controlled by your desires, by your emotions, by your passions. It means mastering those things rather than letting them master you. And I think this is one of the ways that the the gospel, the, the story of Jesus is good news to me, and I think to you as well. It means that I no longer have to be mastered by my desires, emotions, and passions. If I'm in Christ, He gives me the power... To be in charge of those things. I think that's wonderful news. I no longer have to be controlled by, by those things that often lead me into sin, controlled by my impulses. Self-control, the good news is that self-control is one of the results of God's presence, God's power at work within us. So that's what, uh, that's what self-control is. I have three things I want to point out to you about that. Actually, there's a very helpful distinction between self-discipline, which is mostly what we heard about in the story, about willpower and self-control. I found this distinction this week uh, from Pastor Gary Washburn. I thought it was very insightful. He says that self-discipline or willpower is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's motivated primarily by achieving a goal, and it's mostly determination. It's mostly something that I generate determination. But the focus in self-discipline is mostly on what I'm not going to do. If I'm being disciplined as a person, I'm focusing on what I'm not going to do. So Frog's line in this story, which I think was a a key line there, was willpower, this, this philosopher we're reading here, Frog this morning, willpower is trying hard not to do something that you really want to do. Willpower is trying, really, trying hard not to do something that you really want to do. And I think that's particularly insightful because it gets at the point of our desires. Something you really want to do is a desire. And willpower is trying hard to say no to a desire that I have. I think that describes how we sometimes live our Christian lives. We try really hard not to do things that we really want to do, our desires for them are still strong. And so our desires often win out and we eat all the cookies or we cross the line and we step into whatever it is that is our temptation that's really uh, drawing our desires. But the first thing I want you to know about self-control is that self-control, in contrast to that, is letting my love for Jesus, letting him overrule or rule my desires, my emotions, and my passions. It's letting my love for him, my devotion to the Lord, rule my desires, my emotions, and my passions. So self-control is not motivated by what I'm trying not to do. It's motivated by my love, my yes, for my love for Jesus. It means saying yes to what is good. But if we picture what is good as being let's say that's represented in this space, if I'm turning to say yes to what is good, by that very action, I'm turning my back on, I'm turning away from, I'm saying no to what is evil, what is, what is behind me. So I'm saying no to what, what is evil, but I, my focus in self-control is, in, is on what I am gonna do, not on what I'm not gonna do. I hope that's a meaningful distinction to you. I found it very helpful. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. Anyone who loves me, who's saying yes to me, will keep my commandments. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So self-controlled lives flow out of our love for God, out of our devotion to him, out of our faith in the truth of his word, out of our trust in him, out of our joy of being reconciled to him. And so we joyfully embrace the better way of living that he calls us to, that he offers us, because we know it's the path to life for us. We know it's the true path. It's the true way. But it can be hard to distinguish between self-discipline and self-control, between willpower and self-control, because on the surface they often look the same. Gary Washburn has a very helpful example. He says, imagine two men walking through an airport, And they go by the gift shop and they notice a a pornographic magazine that's in the gift shop. Both men are Christians and both have the same interest. They're drawn to it in the same way, a desire to look at them. But neither one of them does. Neither one of them does. The first man doesn't look at them because he's exercising self-discipline. He's saying no to the magazine, saying no to evil. But the second man doesn't look at it because he's exercising self-control. His focus is on saying yes To Jesus, to his wife or to his future wife, to the health of his marriage, to having a healthy view of sex, having a God-honoring view of sex, saying yes to what's good. It looks the same, their behavior is the same, but the motivation is different. In both cases, they walk away from the temptation, but the self-disciplined guy is saying, this is something I I shouldn't do, so I won't do it. The self-controlled guy is saying, even though part of me wants to do that, I won't, because I know it would grieve God, and I love Him, so I won't. Another example would be uh, reading the Bible when you get up in the morning. Two people might read the Bible. Uh, maybe neither of them feels like reading it when they first get up. The self self disciplined person will read it anyway and say, "I I'm going to do this because I have a sense of duty. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to fall behind on my reading plan." So I'm going, to read, I'm going to read my Bible. A self-controlled person would read anyway as well, but they would read it because they want to grow in love for God. They want to understand God more fully. They want to understand God's goodness more fully. And they want to say yes to that. And so they read their, their Bible as well. So self-control is not so much saying no to temptation, although that's involved. I think it's more about saying yes to God's call in your life as his son or his daughter. Because in choosing what is evil you necessarily turn your back on, or choosing what is good, I'm sorry, you turn your back on what is evil. Choosing to give your best, to behave honorably at work, even though maybe you work for people that you, know, you don't respect, but you're choosing what's good instead of what's evil in your responses. You're choosing to honor God with my money instead of wasting it or being selfish or being lacking in, cons- lacking in concern for people who are less well-off than I am. It might mean choosing to love and serve your wife rather than being controlled by images that you see in television or movies about a selfish or angry or dysfunctional husband. Rejecting those pictures and choosing to serve and love your wife. Choosing to parent well, not being controlled by our own laziness or selfishness. So there are don'ts, but the don'ts of self-control are just the other side of saying yes to God. So the first thing I think we should know about self-control is it's letting my love for Jesus rule my desires, my emotions, and my passions. The Second thing I think we should know about self-control is that our feelings are, are involuntary. Our feelings just happen. We can't choose our feelings, but we can choose our responses. We can choose the actions that we take in response to our feelings, Martin Luther once said, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you don't have to let them nest in your hair. That was his image for temptation. Temptation is going to fly over, but you don't have to welcome it in. So maybe I can't control my feeling of anger when I sense that someone is putting me down or making fun of me, but I can control how I respond to that feeling whether I react with angry insults or, or whether I listen to understand what the person is, what's at the core of what the person is trying to say, even if it makes me angry. The key is to attempt to understand what's going on in this situation instead of jumping to conclusions to thinking before I, or to acting before I think. The Bible makes this distinction between feelings and response with anger specifically. It doesn't say, don't ever be angry. What does it say? It says, in your anger do not sin. When you, or we might say today, when you get angry, don't use that as a pretext to sin, to mistreat people. The feeling of anger is not a sin, but what we do with it can be. And very, very might well, it might well be sin, what we do with it. So be in charge of your words and your actions. If you think about the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis... If you know that story, you know Joseph was the youngest son. He had uh, a number of older brothers. I think it was ten older brothers came ahead of him. Some of his older brothers were, were adults by the time he was born. And yet because Joseph was born of, of Jacob's favorite wife, uh, Jacob f- uh, showered Joseph with affection. And of course his older brothers are going to be jealous. This isn't a culture where older children are much preferred over younger. And here that's upended by Jacob's favor for Joseph. So, of course, they're going to be jealous, but there's no excuse for them to nurse that jealousy into hatred and into murderous rage. Be careful what you do with your jealousy. We could go on with lots of other kinds of feelings, but I think you get the point. We can't choose our feelings, but we do get to choose. We can choose what we do with them, how we respond to them. The third thing I think we should know about self-control is that as you grow in Christ, your reaction time gets better your reaction time gets better. Let me tell you, let me make the point with an example. Think about somebody who makes you angry. Somebody maybe you have trouble getting along with, somebody who does things that irritate you or annoy you. Maybe it's your son who messes up the toothpaste repeatedly or who leaves the door standing open in the wintertime. Or maybe it's your neighbor who borrows your tools without asking or your other neighbor who hollers at you when you cross her lawn. I, I have a neighbor who in the fall rakes up these enormous piles of leaves and then puts them right at the edge of the property line. And I think, really? What's he, what do you think is going to happen there? Um, or maybe it's your schoolmate who says mean things to you. When I'm immature, when the fruit of, Holy, of, the, of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of self-control is not well developed, maybe I simply explode with anger at that person. I let them have it. The next time they do that thing that irritates me, my feelings surge up and I'm angry or I holler at them or I insult them or I tell, maybe I tell someone else how upset I am with that person. I'm sure we've done that before. You tell a third person how upset you are with this person. And it only occurs to to you, to me, maybe a day or two later that I, I sinned in my anger. I said something I shouldn't have. I gossiped when I shouldn't have. And so a day or two later, I find myself repenting and apologizing and say, I don't want to do that again. But as the Holy Spirit transforms me, as the Holy Spirit works in my life, an interesting thing happens. My reaction time improves. The next time something like that happens, maybe I realize after my outburst, just a few hours later that I was wrong. Later in that same day, I think, you know, I crossed the line there. I should never have said those things. I shouldn't have treated that person that way. And so later in that same day, I'm going back and I'm apologizing, I'm making amends. But the Holy Spirit continues his work and eventually what's going to happen is I will realize in the moment when it's happening, wait a minute, I'm crossing a line here, I shouldn't be saying the words that are coming out of my mouth and you've probably had that experience with someone where they start apologizing right away. That's because their reaction time is getting better. Oh, I just said that, oh, I didn't mean to say that, oh, I I, I crossed a line there, I, I take that back, I didn't mean that. But the really amazing thing is that as the Holy Spirit continues to ripen self-control within you, your reaction time moves into negative territory. What I mean by that is you realize beforehand that, oh, wait, if I keep on this path, I'm going to say something I'm going to regret. And I realize before I do it that I don't have to do that. I realize I struggle with this anger, but the Holy Spirit has ripened self-control within me. And I can choose before I say anything, before I hit someone, before I throw something, that I'm about to sin in my anger, and I can choose not to do that. doesn't mean I'm not angry, but it means I have a different response pattern. I express it in a different way. Because thanks be to God, He's developing self-control in my life. I hope you've had that experience. I hope you've had that experience in your life. And if you haven't, I hope you ask for it. I hope you ask the Holy Spirit to do that for you. I found a wonderful picture of self-control this week that I didn't know about before, but I think it's a lovely picture. It has to do with uh, training horses. I discovered that there is a Liberty class competition at horse shows, at some horse shows. In this competition class, the horse is turned loose in the arena. The halter is taken off. The horse is, is uh, turned loose. They're in the arena with a handler and maybe one assistant, but when the music begins for the horse's routine, the halter is removed and the handler cannot touch the horse once the halters are removed until the music stops and the horse is caught. They can use whips. I, guess, I think that's what that person is holding in this picture. Uh, you know, they can, as, as something they show the horse, you can use cans or rattles to keep the horse moving. But any touching of the horse is an automatic disqualification in the liberty class. The more the horse performs on its own and the less active the trainer or the handler has to be, the better the score. This is a test of the horse's self-control. A test of the self-control of the horse. The horse has a minute and a half to walk, to trot, to gallop, to move back and forth. Ideally, they, they cover the whole arena with their routine, like a figure skater. A horse at liberty, in liberty class ideally covers the whole arena, controlled only by their practice and by the trainer's verbal commands. The horse is at liberty to obey. That's why it's called the liberty class. Once the minute and a half are up, the the trainer then has an additional minute and a half to bring the horse in, to catch the horse at the end of the routine. The highest scores in liberty class go to the horses that move willingly with exuberance and with enthusiasm who are saying yes to this routine. The ones who cooperate, who seem to cooperate with their handlers eagerly and energetically. The lower scores go to the horses that perform timidly, who seem to just be going through the motions and need lots of prompts. I just think it's a lovely picture of you and me being at liberty to, as we follow Jesus. Yes, we pursue training. Yes, we, we honor, honor boundaries. An upright and godly life is meant to be one that we live with exuberance and with enthusiasm, with joy, living with self-control rather than just with self-discipline. So let's talk briefly about how to grow in self-control. We've talked about what self-control is, three things you should know, and how to grow in self-control. I just have two things for you to think about in terms of growing in self-control. The first one is to take stock, to take stock, to evaluate your life, to ask yourself, is there an area in my life where I need more self-control? Is there an area in my life where I need more self-control? Or you might say, am I in charge of my desires, my emotions, my passions, or are they in charge of me? Or which is more true in my life? I think an important question to ask in this, in this taking stock is, is your yes to God's call on your life giving you the, the ability and the power to choose what is good? Is your yes to God strong enough to allow you to happily embrace boundaries, to live within boundaries that honor Him? There are several areas in which many of us typically struggle with self-control. One of them is food. We struggle with limiting, you know, the volume of what we eat, but also the kinds of foods that we eat. Some of us struggle with self-control and anger, and I've already talked about that. Some of us struggle with self-control in the area of fear or anxiety. We struggle to be at peace. And we, we feel like we can't, we can't get out of that. Some of us struggle with self-control in spending. We spend money that we really don't need to spend, we shouldn't spend, and our garages, our basements fill up with stuff. Maybe self, this is an area of self-control, of struggle for you. Some of us struggle with self-control in the area of pornography. Our desires are strong, and we haven't developed rhythms that allow us or our, our, our yes to God isn't yet strong enough for us to turn away from that. Or maybe you struggle with gossip. Gossip is talking to someone about a problem or a challenge in your life, talking to someone who's neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. If you're talking to someone who's not part of the problem, not part of the solution, you're gossiping. You're, ta- you're bringing in a, a person who doesn't need to know about this situation or doesn't need to know the negative information that you have. Some of us struggle with self-control in ambition. We want more power, we want more status, we want more opportunity, and we'll go after that at the cost of many other things. Others of us struggle with self-control in the face of addictions. Now, that's a little bit of a different kind of thing, because once addictions get their hooks in, it's not just a matter of turning away from it. Often we need help to get rid of those or to, to walk away from those. When you're taking stock, I would invite you to ask, if you have the courage, to ask someone who knows you well. A good friend or a husband or a wife if you're married. Ask them the question I gave you at the beginning. Is there an area in my life where you think I need more self-control? Is there an area in my life where you think I need self-control? The second step after taking stock, if you want to grow in self-control, is to take action. You take stock, and then you ta- if something comes up there, if something I just mentioned has caught your attention, caught your heart, the second step would be to take action. And I think the first step of taking action would be to ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit, what do I, what do I need to say a bigger yes to if I'm going to be able to really choose what's good? What do I need to be able to, to say a bigger yes to than I already have if i 'm going to be able to choose what is good, for me, this was uh, in my in the first uh, six, eight years that we were married, um, I was one of the things I was doing was flirting with sexual temptations beyond my marriage, just just flirting with them, reading explicit material. I was curious about pornography and just sort of dabbling in those things, and at a certain point, I realized that just trying to say no to those things wasn't sufficient. I needed to say a stronger yes to my hope of a lifelong marriage to my wife, to a lively, rich, flourishing relationship with my wife. And when I, when I got to the point where I, I said, you know what, those things are harmful to something I really care about, something I, I, I want to make a yes commitment to. I want to make, make a yes commitment to trusting that God's promise to me that faithfulness in marriage is the better course for my life than stepping into these things that look so appealing to me. That's what I mean when I say, where might you need to say a bigger or stronger yes in your life so that you can turn away from something that you've struggled to turn away from? Once you have an idea what that is, I would. I think another really good step is to say a daily or very regular rhythm of surrender, reminding yourself of your commitment to that, usually as part of a daily time that involves reading Scripture or prayer or silence, asking the Holy Spirit to change your desires, to give you mastery over your desires, to develop self-control, giving the Holy Spirit permission to do this work in your life. The goal here is not to just say no to the thing you're struggling with, but to say yes to God in a more complete way, to understand God's love for you, to deepen your trust for God, several years ago I heard Greg Boyd say that your picture of God is the most important reality in your life. What you think of God is the most important truth or reality in your life. He said that because, he said your passion for God and your transformation will never exceed the beauty of your portrait of God. Maybe it might be a little clearer to say that to the extent that you, that you really love and trust God, that's going to give you the, the ability to turn away from other things. So, in other words, do you really believe that God is a loving God, that God is a joyful God, that God is a peaceful God, that God is patient and kind, that God is good and faithful and gentle, that God is humble and compassionate? If you really do profoundly believe all those things to be profoundly true of God, your picture of God is a much more beautiful picture than otherwise. And if, you're, if you don't picture God in that way, you're probably going to be limited in the degree to which you can trust Him and the degree to which He's going to de- be able to develop self-control in your life. One of the things that I, I, wrote, I did was I wrote out a prayer for myself to say no to some things and to say yes to other things. I'm going to read it to you. My goal was to pray this prayer every day for 30 days. When I went back and looked at my notes this week, it looked like I, had, I prayed it for a week and then I kind of got distracted. I prayed it for another week. But then eventually, I managed to pray it for 60 days straight. And I think that this is one of the things that God used to, it was a doorway, an opening, I think the Holy Spirit used to, to really transform this part of my, my heart and my journey. So here's the prayer I wrote. O oh Lord, by your grace, today I will not seek out nor will I expose myself. I should say, um, I, what I came to was the realization that I could imagine myself walking in purity in this area for 24 hours. That I, I could say, yes, I believe I can, I can set this aside for the next 24 hours. And so my goal was to say to the Lord each morning, I'm going to do that today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, the day after that, or the day after that. I'll come back to that tomorrow. So today, this is my prayer. Today I will not seek out, by your grace, O Lord, today I will not seek out, nor will I expose myself to any visual material, especially including movies or websites, in order to watch sexually explicit material. If I happen onto such things today, I will turn away from them, I will not linger over them. So that's the no part of the prayer. Here's the yes part of the prayer. Holy Spirit, I release this besetting sin to you, this sin that I've struggled with for a long time. And I invite you to transform this part of my heart, my soul, my body, my mind. I invite you to remind me of this commitment whenever necessary today so that I may be more fully conformed to and pleasing to Jesus Christ, my Lord. So I'm saying yes in the second part of the prayer to transformation, to changing whatever needs to be changed, heart, soul, body, mind. I'm saying yes to faithfulness and commitment, yes to conforming to Jesus, yes to being pleasing to him, and yes to his lordship in my life. And tomorrow I'm gonna, I'll think about tomorrow when that gets here, I'll think about the day after that. So I I read this prayer in a heartfelt way over an extended period of time, and as I said, I think it was part of what God used to um, develop self-control in my life in, in this area. Another thing I would suggest in terms of taking action is ask a friend to stand with you. Ask a friend to stand with you. Tell someone you trust about your goal, your desire to change, and ask them to check in with you to see how it's going, however, ho- however often it would be helpful to you. One caveat, though, is that that person cannot be your spouse. The person who checks in with you can't be your spouse because there's so many other dynamics between husbands and wives. This is not one to layer into that. It's probably better if you're a guy, if, if you're the person who's checking with you is another guy, if you're a woman, if, if it's another woman, just because they're likely to understand more about your motivations and how, how things are working with you. So we've talked about what self-control is, th- three things we should know about it, and how to grow in self-control. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would continue to develop all of these various aspects of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, including self-control. Self-control let me invite him to do that and i'm going to invite the worship team to gather while i while i pray <laughs> lord i'm so grateful we are so grateful to know to come to experience you as a loving god a joyful god a peaceful god one who is patient and kind one who is good a god who is faithful and gentle fully in control of himself, a God who is humble and compassionate, slow to anger, full of forgiveness and grace. Lord, may that picture of who you are fully fill our imaginations and our minds so that we together would grow to be people, individuals, and a collective a group of worshiping, uh, gathered worshipers who Share in the joy of knowing that, that you are the God we serve. You are the God who, who is the Lord of the universe and the one who has reconciled us to yourself. Lord, we ask that you would develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And this morning, especially self-control. Lord, I pray that you would take the words that we've spoken this morning and use it to continue to transform us to be more and more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do this work within us by your power and your grace. Amen.